This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. They do say that laughter is the best medicine, and this morning, actually, I'm a doctor, and I can prescribe that to you. Laughter is the best medicine, as you can see from the stethoscope. Um, and I wanted to tell you about a patient of mine. Uh, it's called Mankind. Um, and I was looking through some medical records the other day, and I came across um, a particularly interesting set called Hebrews. Um, and in Hebrews, I, I was looking for, and I was recalling of this, um, how Mankind came, and, and he had this terrible problem um, called sin, sinful nature. Um, and it's not an uncommon problem. It's not, it's not rare. In fact, it's widely accepted that most people are born with this problem, sin. Um, and in terms of its symptoms, it can vary quite widely. Um, you can recognise it in a lot of different ways. But, but mankind, he had, this, he had this real problem with sin and sinful nature. And we read in Romans 3:23 that for everyone has sinned, we all fall, fall short of the glory of God and his glorious standard. And that was the real shame for me, was that mankind came... And he had this problem. And the thing was that God really wanted to have this close fellowship and relationship with mankind. But because of this sinful nature, the two couldn't be together because of God's holiness and righteousness and mankind's lack of holiness and righteousness. The two couldn't dwell together in harmony as God wanted. Um, and it was a real shame because it says in Genesis 1.26 that God and the Godheads all together enjoyed this perfect fellowship. And they said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness to share in that likeness of that beautiful fellowship and that amazing relationship and that awesome unity that they had together. And that's, that's what they wanted. But mankind, through thinking that he knew better and through disobedience and through being tempted by Satan, decided that he was going to do his own thing. And he ended up with this problem that he came to me with called sinfulness. So um, I just have to tell you that to start with, that mankind had this problem and it was sin. Um, so there was this prescription, and he had this problem, so when you have a problem, it's good to get a prescription for it, isn't it? Um, and the prescription was the Old Covenant. And if we turn to Hebrews 9, we can find out a bit more about that. This is um, an analogy, by the way. It wasn't a real scenario. This is just a metaphor. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is such a fantastic book. It's full of amazing truths and promises about the New Covenant and about everything that went on in the Old Covenant and how we are now part of the New Covenant, which is what I'm going to speak about today. But um, you should really dive into it if you, if you haven't recently. It's, it, there's loads of stuff in there to get. But Hebrews 9, we'll just pick out a few verses from there to tell us a bit about this Old Covenant, which tried to deal with this problem that mankind had, which is called sin. And in verses 1 to 3, we can read, The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand and a table and sacred loaves of bread on the table. The room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. 
So we see there that in the Old Covenant there was an earthly place of worship, which was a tabernacle built by man. And what it spoke of was this separation between God and man, which is what we've been talking briefly about, was the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, which is where the presence of God dwelled. And then if we go down a bit further, verses 6 and 7, we read, When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. And so we see there that this old covenant was a very religious covenant. It had specific times and places for specific duties that these priests had to fulfill. And if, we look, if you were to look in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, you'd see they were, in their religious nature, they would observe things like um, the Sabbath and, and seasonal festivals and things like that. But there were lots of specific things that they had to do um, in the Old Covenant. And there was a priesthood, which was um, set up uh, and run by men, and there were sacrifices over and over and over again. So that's just a few characteristics. And then if we go to verse 13, we can see that under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. So we see there that the sacrifices that they were, were doing were cleansing the body, and, and that was good because their bodies needed to be cleansed. And that's another characteristic. And then in verses 16 to 22, just one final thing about it. It says, Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, The blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we see there that the Old Covenant had a mediator, namely Moses. He was the one who would intercede um, between men and God. He was the, the mediator in the middle, that kind of flow of, of communication, if you like. And um, there was a lot of blood everywhere as well. We can, we can see that from those verses as well. Um, so that was the Old Covenant, and that's, that's what was going on with the people of Israel. They would, they would fall down, and they would offer all these sacrifices, and they would do all of these things to try and make amends and that would then happen again, and that would then happen again. They would sin, they would try and make up for it, and they would sin, they would try and make up for it. And the, the thing was that, unfortunately, the Old Covenant was unable to take away man, mankind's problem of sin. Um, the Old Covenant was good. It was a good covenant. It, it pointed towards the fact that man needed something more. It needed something that the Old Covenant couldn't provide. It needed this, this grace of God. But as it was, man was sinful, and the Old Covenant couldn't take away that fact. So it was, it was un, unfortunately unable to take away mankind, my, my friend, my patient's problem of sin. Um, let's turn to Hebrews 10. 
Just before that, we, just to, to um, say, it says in Hebrews 8, verse 7, that if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant. Yeah, but as we can see, it, it was, wasn't it? It had, it had faults, um, most of all the, the sinfulness of man. And in Hebrews 10, we can see in verse 11 that it says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. So that's the problem in a nutshell, isn't it? They, they're offering these sacrifices, but they can never take away sins. You see, in, in a works-based system, a set of do's and don'ts set up by man and dependent on men and their performance... That will never get you closer to God. And sin cannot be completely removed or atoned for in a system like that, in a, in a covenant like that, because what's needed is the grace of God to uh, remove you from that situation. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, The old system, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So as we've said, they, the, the sacrifices, they were cleansing the people's bodies, and, and that was needed, but what was needed was a greater cleansing. You see, the old covenant was treating the outward symptoms, but not the inner cause of the problem. It was not getting to the heart of the problem. I'll say that again. It was not getting to the heart of the problem. You see, the problem was the heart. It was man's heart. It was man's sinful nature, which, which essentially is man's heart, his sinful heart. Would you please turn to Matthew chapter 15? We're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures this morning, which I hope you're excited about. This, for me, really sums up um, what, the, what the problem was, what, how man's heart was the problem. And we read in Matthew 15, verses 17 to 20. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words that you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts... Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So the word plainly says the problem was the heart. And in Luke 6.45, it says a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So the heart is so foundational and fundamental to what this problem of sin was. And we can see that, that mankind, he had an, an unclean heart, essentially. That, that's what the problem was. But on top of that, we read that he also had a hard heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, if you turn there. In Hebrews 3 and verses 7 to 11, it says, That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. 
There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So mankind had a hard heart, an unclean heart and a hard heart that was always turning away from God and that was not compatible in its nature to dwell with God as he wanted. However, God had a plan. And it was not God's will for mankind to live in separation from him. Praise God. So God made a way to give mankind a new heart. In Hebrews 10, verse 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. That's amazing, isn't it? God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. He made a way. He didn't want us to be in separation from him. He wanted this beautiful, holy, righteous relationship of unity and intimacy. That's what he wanted. That's the way that he created us. And that's how he, what he had planned to bring back to mankind. In Galatians 3, verses 24 to 26, it says, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's turn to Joshua 31. Some things that I read, I'm not going to expand on too much because as I was preparing, I felt to let the word speak for itself. And sometimes there's, there's not a great deal you can add to what is written in the scriptures. And I feel that um, for some of the scriptures, they just need to speak for themselves and say what's, and reveal the revelation that's within them. Say that to us this morning. Joshua 31. Oh. That's bizarre. 30? Am I in the wrong book? That's embarrassing. Um, the day is coming, says the Lord. Ezekiel? Jeremiah. I knew it began with a J. Jeremiah 31. Forgive me. Thank you. That's the great thing about the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, not Joshua. Don't turn to Joshua. Yeah, chapter 31, and then verses 31 to 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is my new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their gods, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, hallelujah, and I will never again remember their sins. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
That's what God wanted to do. That was his plan. That was his, his new covenant that he wanted to establish. And the way that he did it was what I'd like to call the perfect procedure. So we've got the problem, sin. We've got the prescription of the old covenant, which wasn't quite cutting it. And then we've got the perfect procedure, which then took place. And what happened was that God performed this perfectly planned, perfectly timed procedure where he took one man and made him perfect and holy so that we, like him, could be made holy and dwell with God in intimate relationship for all eternity. Jesus became human. He became the perfect high priest. He sacrificed his blood and he removed our sin. And in doing so, he made a way for us to have a perfect heart. It says in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 7, talking about Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So we see there that Jesus became human. And then, if you could turn to Hebrews 5, this for me is one of the key verses, one of the key bits of scripture. Hebrews 5. And when you're there, if you look down to verse 8. And it says, verses 8 to 10. Even though Jesus was God's son, he, <coughs> excuse me, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we see that Jesus became human, and then he became the perfect high priest. And how he did that was, in a bit of a baffling way, he learned obedience. Jesus um, had to learn obedience from the things that he suffered. And in that way, God then qualified him to become the perfect high priest. And we'll come back to that a little bit later on. And then if you could flick across to Hebrews 9, then we'll see what happens next. This also is an amazing piece of scripture. Okay. So we've got verses 11 to 12 and 25 to 26. So, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Verse 25. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once, for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Christ came to earth as a human being He learned obedience and became a great high priest. 
and he entered the most holy place with the sacrifice of his own blood to secure a way for us to enter into a holy, loving, united, awesome, magnificent relationship with God our Father. Through his perfection, he perfected us. The old covenant was mediated by man and it had high priests from a human priesthood. It contained countless sacrifices ongoing again and again, which cleansed the body but not the heart. And it tried to make amends for the continual repetition of sin. And that sin remained because man chose to prefer his self and his flesh in disobedience to God. The new covenant, mediated by Christ, who was the great high priest in an eternal priesthood, made a once and for all time sacrifice, which cleansed not just the body, but more importantly, the heart, which completely removed sin. That sin was removed because Jesus sacrificed his self and his flesh in obedience to God. You see, the key was obedience. He was obedient to God, and he learned that through his suffering and became the great high priest to make a way for us. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, it says... For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Through his suffering in which he learned obedience, he perfected human nature, if you like. He perfected the human heart. He, see, he had to learn that final bit of obedience. He, he was perfect. Of course he was. He was God. But he had to learn that obedience. And in learning that, he perfected human nature. Jesus was a human. He came to earth as a human and he died as a human. But in, in that way, he perfected that human nature, that, that human heart. And because he had done that, because he's the example to us, because he's made a way for us, he has made a way for us to have that same perfect heart. He perfected the human heart. I think this explains it quite well. Colossians 2, if you would turn there, please. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eat popcorn. This is awesome. Colossians 2, verses 11 to 15. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure, as in the Old Covenant. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, the very thing that was the problem with the Old Covenant or the the people who were under the Old Covenant. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature or your sinful heart was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ For he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In a nutshell, no more sin. (laughs) Sin has been dealt with. The new covenant and the establishment of it by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
has completely removed sin. And when we, when we put our faith in Christ, when we, in obedience to Christ, submit to his authority and his, his loving, compassionate authority over us, when we submit to that in an obedient way, we then receive the same perfect heart that Jesus had when he learned obedience through his suffering and gave himself as a sacrifice for us on the cross. We receive a perfect new heart, which is absolutely amazing. So that was the perfect procedure. I think it's, it's perfect, perfect procedure. So we had the problem, which was sin, the prescription of the old covenants, the perfect procedure, which was that Jesus died for us and made a way and established the new covenant and gave us a new heart. There's quite a lot in that one, isn't there? And then we've got the post-op. Post-op. So we've gone through the perfect procedure. We've got that perfect heart. But what now? Well, it's always good to rest after an operation. I think that's what they advise, first of all, isn't it? Rest. And you know what? God has promised rest to all those who put their faith and trust in him. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. The new covenant promises rest, which now you have a new heart, you can enter freely. Oh, hallelujah. We can read a little bit about it in uh, the medical records of Hebrews 4. Verses 3, 6, and 11. Verse 3. For only we who believe can enter his rest. We'll stop there with that one. Verse 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. So we see there that it's through faith and belief and trust in God and obedience to him that we enter that wonderful rest of God. And dependence upon... uh, Sorry, it it is a rest from works. It's rest in the new covenant. It's rest in Jesus. So it's a rest from works and from a works-based system and from a list of do's and don'ts and from a continual repetition of sacrifices over and over again. It's a rest from all of those um, deeds and works that we had to go through. And it's a dependence upon Jesus Christ and the grace of God. It is so restful. It's such a weight off the shoulders to know that you don't have to work your way into the kingdom of God. You don't have to do this and do that and and do this good deed and that good deed. Of course you should do all of those things, but that's not how you get into the kingdom of God. It's by the grace of God and the wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's, It's a wonderful rest. It's a calming rest. We read in Matthew 8 and 14 of these stories of the storm raging up with the disciples. And in Matthew 8, um, Jesus gets into the boat. He says, we're going to the other side, and he goes to sleep. And this storm rages up, and the disciples are worried, really worried. And um, Jesus is just asleep. Jesus is the perfect rest. He is just completely calm, completely composed, completely at rest when all the storms are raging on around him. And then in Matthew 14, a similar situation, but this time... Well, there's another storm, but this time, um, rather than being asleep in the boat, Jesus decides to just walk across the storm towards the boat. (laughs) And um, Peter sees him. And for a minute, 
He's got his trust in him and he starts to walk towards him and he doesn't notice the storm around him. He's at rest as he's walking towards him. But as soon as he doubts, that rest goes and he sinks into the water, doesn't he? And as we put our trust in Jesus, we can expect to receive that calming rest. And as we doubt Jesus, it's not surprising that we sink sometimes. But we can apply that to any situation that we're going through, really. When, when breakthrough needs to happen, the more we doubt, the more our expectation is that it's not going to happen and the more we, we just don't have faith. But the more we trust in God, the more easy it is to just to rest in God, to rest in Jesus and know that he's got it all under control. He's the one who calms the storms. He the one, he's the one who walks across the waters and, and naps in the boat while it's raging around him. So we have to rest. Rest is good. But also, we have to strengthen our new heart. When you have an operation, you rest, but then you've got to strengthen this new thing that you've got. Um, I was always taught in um, PE, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's how it is with the heart. You, know, you, have to, you have to work on it and use it. You won't lose it. You won't lose your heart. That was, that was a bad analogy. But anyway, um, so you have to strengthen it. It says in Hebrews 10, 14, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? We're being made holy. We have been made perfect. We have been given a perfect heart. But we have to always line up with that truth. We have to always work on it and bring into line things that we're doing. And it says in Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We have to guard our hearts. We have to work on it. We have to guard it and let all of the good things in and guard all of the stuff that shouldn't be in there from getting in. And then in Hebrews 3, let's turn there. God is good. He's done a great thing in establishing such a wonderful covenant and allowing us to partake in all of its fullness by giving us a brand new perfect heart it says in Hebrews 3 and verses 12 and 13 be careful then dear brothers and sisters make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving turning you away from the living God you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God it's an everyday thing we and the thing about this new covenant is that we're in it together, you know? There's, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, as it says in Galatians 3.28. We're all one in Christ. And this new covenant is between Christ and his church, which is one body, which is one people. And so it's down to us to look after one another and to warn each other every day. Warning, perhaps in a, in a way that says you shouldn't be doing that and that's not good for your heart, but also in a way that that's really good for your heart. I I'm just want to encourage you in this area to say you're doing such a great job there and carry on because that's doing good to your heart and it's strengthening it and, and you're becoming a great uh, person in God. So we must be active and, and with one another in this. And one way to strengthen your heart and to strengthen yourself is water, food and water. Water's good. And there's a couple of things about water. First of all, I want to say you need to be washed in the water. It says in Hebrews 10 and verse 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood 
to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You see, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin. And you ought not to have a new heart without a new body. And the great thing about baptism is that it washes your body completely clean. It washes that, that outward thing, which has already happened for you on the inside when God has come into your heart by his Holy Spirit. But it takes that outward body and it lines it up with what is already going on inside of you. It means that you've not got new wine in an old wineskin, but you've got this perfect body and this perfect heart in perfect unison together. So you, I just wanted to encourage you, if you've made a decision for Christ, if you've accepted him into your life as your Lord and Saviour, and you haven't been baptised, please be baptised. It's, it's the best decision, probably after being saved in the first place, that you'll ever make. It's, it's essential to your salvation and to everything that God wants for you. So we need to be washed in the water. We also need to be soaked by the water. This is something that God really impressed upon me in Hebrews 6, verse 7. It says there in Hebrews 6, 7, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's, it has God's blessing. And our new heart is a bit like a sponge. And we ought to soak up all of the goodness of the new covenant, all that God says to us when we gather together, all that comes in the prophetic word, all that we receive from the worship and all that we give in praise to God and all that we get from one another throughout the week, we ought to soak that up into our new heart because as we do that and we produce fruit, produce a good crop, it has God's blessing on it. Yes. It ties in with John seven thirty eight, which says, anyone who believes in me may come to me and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from your heart. As you soak up that living water from God, then rivers will flow from your heart to those around you. It reminded me of that picture that Stefan shared with us a couple of weeks ago of the house and the water gushing out of, of all of the windows and all of the doors. And the water starts in the house, doesn't it? You, you, don't, you have to soak up the water in the first place to be able to, for it to flow out. So water's good. Food is also good. Just to say only briefly that um, we need daily bread and we need the covenant meal. Um, you don't need to turn to these verses, but it says in Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And your new heart is hungry. <laughs> it's just like the rest of you. It needs feeding regularly. And, you know, we feed our bodies, most of us, three meals a day, don't we? We have breakfast, we have lunch, and we have dinner. And our heart is the same. It needs this regular feeding. We wouldn't neglect our body, so let's not neglect our heart. We need that daily bread. It really wants feeding from all of the great nutrition that's in the Word. And we also need the covenant meal. We know this scripture well, Luke 22, 19 to 20. And he took the bread, gave thanks for it and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And when we take bread and wine, we celebrate the new covenant. And in the meal of the new covenant, the amazing thing is that God has brought everything to the table. We don't have to come with food to put on the table. God has brought the bread and God has brought the wine. And he wants us to just celebrate in that fact and to love the meal of communion and to, and to love our time spent with one another when we come around the table together. Um, and, it, and it strengthens your heart. As you come to the table to celebrate the new covenant, it strengthens your heart for yourself and in unison with one another as well. So we need water, we need food when we're strengthening, and we need to provide the right kind of environment. The amazing thing about the new covenant is that there is now no separation between us and God. There is no curtain separating the holy place and the most holy place. There is no barrier shutting us off from God's presence. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing covenant. And we need the right kind of environment. And the best environment for a new heart in a new covenant is the very presence of God. Hebrews 10 verse 10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Why? So that we could be holy like he is holy, so that we could draw near to him and have close fellowship with him with nothing holding us back. And in that, I think the new covenant reveals the heart of God, that he delights to make holy those who are unworthy. He loves to make holy those who aren't holy. He loves to bring to himself those who don't know him. He loves to extend that arm and hold out that hand and say, I've got a better way for you. I've got a plan for you. I want you to follow me. I've got such great things for you. The very presence of God is is that great environment. And it removes, as I've said, the barriers between man and God. If you think to the old covenant, you've got um, Mount Sinai where the presence of God would be and anyone who went to the mountain was um, destroyed, basically, weren't they? You couldn't interact with the presence of God. And like we said with the tabernacle, there's that curtain shutting off the holy place and the most holy place. And the great high priest could only go in once a year. But now there's no barriers. There's nothing separating us. Men are now righteous in Christ, and they have access through the great high priest who has made a way. Could we turn to Hebrews 4? This is so amazing. In the Old Covenant, you, you can't go near the presence of God for fear of destruction. But in the New Covenant, as we read here, it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So in stark contrast to what we had before, we've now got grace and mercy coming from the very presence of God. And as we draw near to him and, and enter his, his very presence and as we're close to him in that relationship... We receive his mercy and his grace. It's just the complete opposite, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's so amazing. And we, I am, we are so thankful to be in this new covenant with a new heart given to us by Christ Jesus. So just to say, finally, so we've got, we had a problem, mankind. Well, my friend, mankind, he had this problem, sin. Um, so we had this prescription of the old covenant. Didn't really cut it. So there was this perfect procedure, which we've talked about, And then post-op, we had the rest and then strengthening of the heart through the food and the water 
and then we had to provide the right kind of environment for this heart to grow and develop and be nurtured and, and be in unison with all of these other new hearts that God had given. And finally, we should put it into action. Because this is all great, this is all fantastic, but if we don't do anything with it, then we may as well rewind the tape and turn it off because there's no point, is there? We need to put it into action, otherwise it's just head knowledge and not stuff that we're living out as God wants us to. You see, the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, has given you a new heart and he's made his home there. He lives there. So we ought to open the windows. Open the windows of your heart. I just want to say, first of all, be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have a new heart, then you have the Holy Spirit living within you. But if you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit, that is a promise for you to receive. It's not circumstantial. It doesn't depend on where you've come from or what your church background is. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants you to be baptised in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, moving in the gifts of the Spirit. It's a promise. It's not maybe it will happen. It's a promise of God to us. We need to be baptised in the Spirit and we need to be continually filled with the Spirit because that's what our heart wants. That's the environment that's there. The Holy Spirit lives there and he wants to fill us and continually fill us with his Holy Spirit. So be filled and then be fruitful. Galatians 5.22 is an amazing verse which says that we should demonstrate love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says there is no law against these things. But you know what? There is a covenant which is really for these things. There's no law against them, but the covenant is really for all of those things and, and allowing you and begging you to do all of those things, to be living a life of love and joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We, we ought to be fruitful if we're so full to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, knowing that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks and our actions follow, that we should be so fruitful. So be filled, be fruitful. This is a good one. Be royal priests. Be a royal priesthood. The Old Testament had a designated priesthood depending on what tribe you had come from. And we are now royal priests. It says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, <laughs> that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And like the priests of old, it is our responsibility as royal priests to show people the way to God. That was essentially their role, wasn't it? It was to show people the way to God and, and uh, be those people. And it's the same for us. But you know what? Unlike the priests of old, it doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter what tribe, what people we've come from. We are royal priests. You know, you are a royal priest. And you have something to offer. Not just something to offer, but you've got something to offer. Offer. And you've got a way of expressing what God is like that nobody else has got. God has made you in his image to be like him. And he's made your image completely different to everybody else's image. So that means that I express something of God that nobody else can. And I can lead people to what God is like in a way that nobody else is able. 
And it's the same for each one of us. We are fundamental to all that he wants to achieve because we are royal priests. So be filled, be fruitful, be royal priests, and be vocal. As you have this morning, thank you, it was encouraging. Be vocal, speak. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as it says in Luke 6, 45. You know, if you receive this new heart as you have, think of it in a, in a literal way. If you had had a heart problem and you'd found this way of receiving this new heart and it was completely fresh and whole and amazing and full of life, would you not want to tell everybody else about how that had happened and how they could have the same thing, knowing that they've got the same ailments and the same problem that you had? They can have the same. And that's how we should be, I think. Tell others what Christ has done for you. Give your testimony. Tell them what he has laid hold of in your behalf, of the great thing that he has done in establishing a new covenant and giving us a new heart so that we can dwell in perfect harmony with our creator, our awesome father, who is completely holy, completely righteous, completely loving and just, and who wants us to draw near to him and have that relationship with him. Tell others of what he's done for them. It's the same for them as it is for us. You know, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. And there's that longing in the heart of man to find out about this eternity, for it to be expressed within them and for them to know about it. And we know all about it, don't we? We know of this amazing eternity, of this eternal life. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him would not die and perish but have eternal life. We have that eternal life. So let your heart that knows the truth have the outlet to touch the hearts of others who desperately want that truth in their lives, who desperately want to know that eternal life and who it is freely open and accessible for them. If they would only believe and be baptised, they would be saved. Hallelujah. So the new covenant is not a secret. (laughs) And God has given us a new heart to give thanks to give testimony and to give glory and honour to his mighty name. Lord God, I thank you for our wonderful new heart. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful new covenant. Lord, I pray that this morning, as you have ministered to us through the word, Lord, if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, would you soften their heart right now, I pray. Lord, in all of your grace and love and mercy, would you soften the hearts of men who need to know you in their life? Lord, that eternity that is longing in their hearts, would you satisfy that with your eternal life, I pray? Father God, I thank you for the amazing truth that you sent your son Jesus to die a sinner's death as a spotless lamb and make a way for us to enter into the most holy place, the very presence of the living God. God, you are so good. You have done such an amazing thing for us, and we are so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. Thank you for all the amazing promises that we can find throughout the new covenant and we can lay hold of. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to offer sacrifices again and again and come with with problems and sins, but, Lord, you have done it all. Lord, you have overcome. You are victorious. You wear the victor's crown. 
and you are the mediator of a fantastic new covenant which declares all of those truths which we live in so freely. Lord, I thank you. You are a good, good God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.